0: Well, hello, everyone. You're listening to Axtrack, a podcast that's committed to examining and providing solutions for safety, HR, and occupational health in the workplace. My name is Holly. I'm a registered nurse, and I'm joined today by our marketing manager, Jason. So whatever your role is that you play, this show is about providing you with new knowledge that can take you to the, your organization to the next level and help you navigate through some of those ups and downs of the entire employee journey. Jason, do you want to kind of explain who our guest is today, give an introduction there?
1: Of course. Uh, When we decided to bring forth the topic of obesity in the workplace, we knew there was only one person who could uh, so passionately share their knowledge with our listeners. Uh, Joseph Galati, MD, is a liver disease specialist with more than 25 years of experience treating patients with acute and chronic liver disease. In addition to his practice, liver specialist of Texas, he is also the medical director the Center of Liver Disease and Transplantation at the Methodist Hospital here in Houston, Texas, and also the president of the Texas International Endoscopy Center. And as if that was not impressive enough, he's all he also has his own radio show, Your Health First. It's a great honor to be here today. <laughs> Thank you so much. Uh, I, I appreciate the intro, and you're right. I am passionate about obesity and nutrition and really how to stay healthy and bring to light some things people don't realize that they may be doing at putting themselves at risk.
0: Mm I have to tell you, whenever I heard you refer to yourself as as a healthcare futurist, my my interest was immediately piqued. You know, that's obviously what we're kind of cued into, is transforming this whole model of occupational medicine. And for you to say that, it just kind of really got my attention that you're looking beyond the right here, right now. Tell us specifically what you mean, maybe, when you say you're a medical futurist.
1: Well, you know, so as you mentioned, I'm a liver disease specialist, or a hepatologist, as uh, the technical term goes. And we take care of people with liver disease. Now, most people, when you think about liver disease, I'm going to the liver doctor, they think they have cirrhosis, and I only treat alcoholics. Uh, (laughs) That's the one point people know. Uh, Alcoholics get liver disease. Well, that is true, and they develop cirrhosis. But what has uh, happened over the last, certainly over the last, five to eight years but this actually has been happening over the last 20-25 years is that there is a condition called non-alcoholic fatty liver disease NAFLD and this is exactly what it is your liver becomes full of fat now in the old days the only people we thought would get a fatty liver were alcoholics. Mm-hmm. And for literally 200 years, we would call it alcoholic fatty liver disease and that was, that was the end of the story. And so when we would see somebody with a fatty liver, the first thing we would do is question a person about how much they drink and how long they've been an alcoholic. And starting about 20, 25 years ago, we would get these responses from people to say, Excuse me, I do not drink. I never drink. I'm not a heavy drinker. I have a drink on my anniversary, my birthday, and Christmas. And we're like, BS. BS, you have a fatty liver. And and we'd get into some spirited conversations. But about that time, we were seeing it. Another program was seeing it. And we're like, hey, are you seeing these people with fatty liver that aren't alcoholics? They're like, yeah. (laughs) And we're like, what's with that? And so it took several years to figure out that there is a separate group of people, mostly adults, that have a fatty liver unrelated to alcohol abuse or alcohol misuse. And so what do you think we called it? Non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. Very, We're very smart. Very original. And so this whole, this whole uh, specialty of non-alcoholic fatty liver disease developed. And so once we realized that it was out there, we then had to do the hard work to figure out, okay, so what? And we would say, well, what do we know about these people? Well, they're overweight. Well, gee whiz, they have type two diabetes or pre-diabetes and they also had high cholesterol and they also had high blood pressure. And so when you take all of these components, obesity, central obesity, it's that belly fat, high blood pressure, cholesterol issues, they would have a low thyroid. Uh, We call this metabolic syndrome. So now we've come to be a little more sophisticated to say people with metabolic syndrome develop, have about a 70% chance of getting a fatty liver. So we understood that. So then the next question was, well, so what? Okay, now what happens to these people? And so, Part of it was through research, part of it was just by observing these people. And we found that these people develop cirrhosis, they develop liver cancer, they're dying early, and now, in current time, they represent the number one disease that leads to a liver transplant fatty liver. It's not alcoholism, it's not hepatitis C. We cured hepatitis C. And so where the hepatitis C patients were, that has been filled in by the fatty liver patient that developed cirrhosis. And so getting back, big long-winded story here, my involvement as a liver specialist, seeing people with fatty liver disease, if you look back, these are obese people with diabetes, pre-diabetes sometimes, high cholesterol, they're eating wrong, they're not exercising, And they come to me with abnormal liver chemistries. They come to me with early cirrhosis. They come to me with liver cancer for the first time. And you look back and you're like, hey, Bob, you got liver cancer. You may need a liver transplant. How the heck did this happen? Oh, you've known you've had fatty liver for 10 years. Nothing was done because the doctor taking care of you did not realize the implications. And so that's when you get a little angry, you get a little passionate, you get futuristic to say, this is a problem I'm just not going to sit back and take, that we have to intervene early. So that's where I'm coming from.
0: Well, you bring up a great point, you know, that the issue of the obesity there. And I mean, you know, when you look at the trends, it looks like that we're, we're in a steady climb. And so when you look at it from a, from an employer standpoint, you've got the issues of absenteeism, You've got the issue of how well the employees are and how they're performing. I mean, do you see that there's an end in sight here? I mean, what is your thoughts as a physician? There's no end.
1: There's absolutely no end in sight. Now that's at, you know maybe a little negative on my point, but we need such investment, not just in money, but in awareness. Mm-hmm. And this broadcast, podcast the efforts that you guys are, are doing is uh, you know the tip of the spear I think you have to get the word out there so the, the, the problem that I see and and what I could tell you and everybody listening to this this is based on solid real-world experience this is not a theory this is not a feeling this is every single day of my life okay over 25 plus years So patients are coming in with a fatty liver. They have elevated liver chemistry, so their blood work is off. And right away, I will start questioning you. How long have you known about that? And they will say, five years, eight years? Some people say, 10 years, I've known that my liver chemistries are elevated. Okay, what was done? Well, nothing, I was told to watch it. I just have slight elevation of the liver chemistries. Well, right there, that's a mistake because any elevation, even if it is one point above normal, needs your full attention, okay? There's no correlation with how high or how low these liver enzymes are with disease activity, okay? It's not saying you've got a temperature of 98.7, a tenth of a point up, no one's gonna call 911. With the liver enzymes, one-point elevation, you should be paying attention to this. So that is one thing. People are walking around realizing they have a fatty liver based on an ultrasound or a CAT scan that they had, maybe for another reason. They go back to their doctor, well, you know, how do you feel? I feel pretty good. Uh, Well, you know, you're a few pounds overweight, try to lose a little bit of weight that might help you out. People don't get the severity of the problem. The, your family doctor does not yet understand the severity of this. You should be all over this uh, because these are the people that I'm seeing years later, they're dying of, of liver disease. And so it's, it's, uh, it's an awareness issue, not only on the, on the healthcare side, starting with nurses and, and dieticians and physicians and surgeons and your OBGYN, but also the patient themselves, and one of the things I talk about on the radio is I want to make you a better consumer of healthcare. You need to understand. People spend more time researching out their refrigerator that they're going to buy, rather <laughs> right, than exactly right. than their their own health. They're online, and you know they show up at, at the department store, the, the the store, researching it all out, but. Researching out your abnormal ultrasound, it's not happening.
0: Right. Well, and it seems like that you get a diagnosis. You know, if it was high blood pressure, we had this established treatment plan, and everybody seems to relate to that, and they understand there has to be interventions that occur with that. But it doesn't seem to have the same effect with the issue of obesity. You,
1: you know, you're right. And I would say nine times out of ten, if you go to the doctor and you have high blood pressure, you're probably going to walk out with either a prescription or samples, but the doctor's not going to let you go because he realizes, or she realizes, high blood pressure is bad, it kills people, et cetera, et cetera, and that's that's fine. You're overweight, that does not raise a, an alarm or a red flag to say, look, you're not leaving here till we talk to you, I'm gonna get you into a dietitian. come back in. month and let me see if you've lost weight this is serious stuff doesn't happen it's like oh you know you and everybody else you and 75% of the population is fat so okay no big deal Uh, but you've got to connect the dots to say this is bad stuff now again I uh, you know my message here today is one of trying to inspire people that you need to take action not like holy smokes, this is like such a big problem and uh, I'm gonna die of something, so let me at least eat Taco Bell and, and have a good time. There's something called all-cause mortality, okay? So what, what that means, and a lot of the research now is looking at all-cause mortality, and what, they're, what that means is, very simply, if you have a particular condition, all right, we'll get into that condition, you are going to die early from something, okay? So if you have a fatty liver, your all-cause mortality is significantly up, which means you're going to die of maybe kidney failure. You're going to die of a heart attack or a stroke, or you may die of pneumonia. You may die of dementia. You might die of Skin cancer, which you say, well, obesity and skin cancer. I don't know if there's a connection, but there's something about having a fatty liver that you, John Q. Public, is going to die early. And does that phase anybody? You know, you're sitting with somebody that's 50. You'd like to think they're going to live into their late 70s, early 80s, but to say, Bob, you have a fatty liver. You're going to die of something early. Is that what you want for yourself, your family? And, and some people are like, holy crap, that's really bad. Uh, I'm gonna do something. Others are just, you know, really the light hasn't hit them. And again, within my practice, I take care of the very sick people. They're in the ICU, they're, they're really dying of liver failure. This is a miserable way to go. And it doesn't have to go that way. Misery is optional. It's your call if you wanna do that. But me, my message is, Let's take action, not have this misery five, ten years down the road, and everybody try to be happy and, and healthy.
0: So do you feel like that a lot of this goes back to the lack of education over the subject matter from the very beginning, and then we've just kind of neglected, or or has it just kind of progressively gotten worse? I, I guess I'll look more towards a solution.
1: I, I think, uh, and, and again, to be very positive, it's almost a dulling of the census. Mm-hmm. Uh, people... Uh, you tell them they're overweight, you talk about their BMI, they're close to being morbidly obese, and they're like, huh, uh, you know, I still want my Bluebell right. ice cream at night. And I'm like, dude, you, you got to cut it out. Mm-hmm. You know, have a bag of peanuts, do something different. You can't just think that you're going to eat whatever you want. And part of the problem is the, the environment we live in. Obesity was not a problem for our parents, Okay. 30, 40 years ago. The problem now is, number one, we are surrounded by fast food, processed foods, that before if you wanted to go eat out, you had to get in your car, fill it up with gas, and drive 10, 15 miles to that restaurant down the road on the other side of town. Now. You like open your front door, and there's 20 places you could, you right. could go. It's delivered, right? That that is is making it so much easier. So the barrier to inexpensive, low quality food, high in fat, high in sugar, high in salt, is a a click away on your mm-hmm. smartphone. Mm-hmm. That is the problem, uh, and and so the whole economy is built around. that. And so that is a problem. The other thing that I see, we could talk more about it, is people are not cooking at home. Mm -hmm. People aren't cooking at home. People can't go to your local produce section of the grocery store and realize, what do I do with an eggplant? Do I keep the skin on it? Do I not keep the skin on it? Um, uh, I had a a patient uh, a few years ago that I told him to, uh, Uh, And actually what I did was I gave them a butternut squash. Mm -hmm. Hopefully everybody knows what a butternut squash looks like. Mm -hmm. And verbally I told them, I said, look, scoop out the seeds, uh, put it, the squash, on a cookie sheet, 350, 400, about 45 minutes, eat it, maybe a little pepper, spritzel of salt, it'll be great. A month later, the guy comes back. And uh, I said so, butternut squash. What do you think about it? And he said, Well, Dr. Galati it was a little tough to digest. I said, Well, what happened? Did you maybe undercook it? it? Was a little hard. He says, Well, I put it back in the oven. He says, but I, I just couldn't get those uh, those seeds down. So I said, Well, sometimes a, a stray seed will make it into your uh, you know your uh, your squash. He said, uh, basically. He scooped. It. He thought the seeds were what he was supposed to call. Co- oh, bless oh, wow. his heart. All right, and he threw everything out, and that's when I said we have a major problem right. here, at Houston. Uh, and and so that's that spurred me to uh, now we we hand out vegetables in the office with instructions, and we try to get them on social media to you know show us. How you're cooking it, your family, and it's it's really made it's really made a big change.
0: I was going to say I saw pictures on there, and I thought this guy's a food genie. I mean, <laughs> he is a food genie in passing it out, and, and don't you give recipes as yeah. well to yeah, them? Yeah, we and, give
1: we give uh, 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 probably about three to four days out of the week, we've got a basket of some vegetable or green or uh, radishes or whatever, and we have a recipe to go with it, and uh, one of us will sort of explain, you know, about the the vegetable, the nutrition with it, and the instructions, and we have a full-time uh, uh, clinical dietitian on staff here, and if there's any questions, just call Helen up, and Helen will help them with uh, cooking and things like that. So, we're trying. We really are trying, and, um, you know, it's a little outside the box. It, it sort of raises... Uh, Um, questions patients leave here Uh, usually we put it in a little bag because you know they're going somewhere but sometimes they'll just walk out with you know uh, a bunch of zucchini under their arm and they're on the elevator Hmm. and like what is this all about (laughs) oh yeah we went to see Dr. Galati we're we're giving out the the farmer's
0: market up on the 20th floor (laughs) zucchini (laughs) Uh,
1: and and so we we really are trying but it's a big problem it's a big problem
0: you have to wonder whether there could be things like that that you could do in the workplace as well because i mean people have to get the education from somewhere Mm -hmm. and they're not getting it as it is right now
1: well i think you know you look at employers and they are in a unique position to influence what their staff is doing it's more than just create the workplace and it's safe and you know the air conditioning is running and fumes aren't being inhaled or you know whatever the, the, the deal is Uh, But there's no doubt that people that are overweight, and the data is, you cannot argue it, people that are overweight cost more money for the employer. Absolutely. Period. They are out more. There's absenteeism. They are less productive. So maybe they're showing up, and they have a perfect work record. They are there. 12 months out of the year, uh, but those eight hours or those 12 hours, are they really doing their job? No, they're tired, they have to go to the bathroom and take a break and take their medicine, they're on the phone with their doctor, things like that. So the productivity is down, absenteeism is up because they're not feeling well, they're having a complication, they're going to the doctor. Uh, they went to the ER over the weekend, and they're out on Monday. Uh, and that that creates a certain dispirit with the whole team mentality. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like, oh yeah, Susie over there in uh, accounts receivable, yeah. she's always complaining about her disease. She's tired. She comes late. She's got to leave early. She's napping on the job. I mean, any scenario here. Uh, and then from a health insurance standpoint uh, depending on the setup and I'm no expert on insurance policies and and whatnot uh, it is outright more expensive to take care of obese patients and again the research shows that when you go to the ER and if you are obese which is sort of code for you may have diabetes, you may have hypertension, you've got cholesterol issues, et cetera, et cetera. That visit to the ER is going to cost many more times than a normal weight person. That goes for the same problem. You know, maybe even you, you fell off a ladder and broke your leg, it's going to cost more in an obese patient. Mm-hmm. Plus, they're going to come with blood sugar issues and other medical conditions that may need to be address so you look at from an employer standpoint an obese patient it's like dollar sign just
0: just going out the door just going
1: out the door Mm -hmm. so it's it's the old carrot in the stick and this is what I wrestle with am I going to penalize you because you are overweight out of shape hypertensive and diabetic meaning I'm going to charge you more for your insurance. So if I give X percent uh, partial payment to underwrite you know, uh, an employee's insurance, okay, rather than just 100%, let's say. And uh, I say, okay, if you're normal weight, you don't smoke, and if you uh, come in with carrot sticks, I'm gonna discount, I'm gonna pay more for your insurance and give you a little bit of a break or give you a bonus rather than you're overweight, you smoke, you've never stepped on a treadmill, I am gonna hit you hard with a sort of a an illness tax. I, I don't know what's better, to encourage people to eat better or penalize the people that probably aren't gonna change their way. And you're gonna have sort of a ticked off employee to say, yeah, he's picking on me, etc. cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what the right thing is, but I do know that as an employer, you've got an opportunity to touch the lives of 10 people or 10,000 people where you could put into play uh, programs that will foster better nutrition, weight loss, smoke ending, exercise, or just a basic realization as to what's wrong. I think if you just put into play a series of 30-minute programs online that, you know, every month you need to do one 30-minute video learning experience, okay? If you do that six months out of the year or you say to everybody, you just need to do five of these a year. And you know what? We'll pay for your gym membership or we'll give you uh, a voucher to go get vegetables at um, Whole <coughs> Food or or you know, local market or something like that. Or we'll send you for cooking classes. Mm -hmm. Or we'll buy you a new pair of sneakers. It's like, hey, that's cool. These people are okay. It's an incentive. Uh, 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 Lunch and learns. I mean, I've been asked uh, all the time. I've done it for the city of uh, Houston for uh, probably about 10 years. Uh, They have these brown bag lunch conferences. I show up for 45 minutes and I'll go over some health and wellness topic, and every time people are like, I didn't realize that, I learned something new. So if you could provide them with actionable information that they could hear today, take home to their family, I think uh, it's beneficial. And that's where we need to get with this whole movement of uh, understanding. Because to think that you're gonna have your doctor explain all this to you, it's not going to happen. I mean, I think it needs to be uh, at at really the grassroots level for this.
0: It does. It has to be ingrained in our culture, and we have to figure out everywhere. Mm-hmm. So from a um, from a medical standpoint, then tell us what types of medical tests then that you would recommend that an employer might might be able to facilitate then in terms of focusing on this and, and getting ahead of uh, some of the health challenges that they get face sure, down the road.
1: Sure, sure. So if we're just <laughs> gonna focus now on the obese individual, basic things that could be done, blood pressure checks, okay? Uh, no doubt, patients that are obese uh, or overweight, you know, again, not not to nitpick here, there's different stages of people that are overweight and then obese and then morbidly obese. It's, it's tied to their body mass index. But if you had a program where you were doing blood pressure screening in everybody, uh, yeah, you could be the runner, the vegan in the crowd, and still have hypertension. Okay, that's mm-hmm. not going to be everybody, but it's still, you're not off the hook. So you get a blood pressure check. So if you find that they are hypertensive, that then we'll start another discussion to say, okay, let's look at your cholesterol. So you do a cholesterol check. So if you're overweight with hypertension and have cholesterol problems, that in itself is not good. There's a chance you're probably harboring pre-diabetes and so you, you could do a blood pressure check. So all of this could be done through a blood pressure check and some basic labs, some basic blood work, okay? So you're going to get that back and weed out the people that are normal. You're going you're gonna to uncover the people that are potentially uh, problematic. Then you look at the intervention, and you say, okay, what do we do? Well, you could route these people to go get some professional help, be it through an on-site nurse, on-site nurse practitioner, or PA, or if you're linked up with a particular clinic, you could get them in, specifically to say, I'm sending you this person with hypertension, they're overweight and they got a cholesterol problem, they're pre-diabetic, please take care of these people and and set up some kind of treatment plan. The other thing is, can you organize um, some sort of exercise incentive or exercise awareness? And then the other part is nutrition. Can you set up healthy eating? And so, you know, over the last 10, 15 years, you've heard about Work, school districts, uh, getting rid of uh, soda machines and installing, you know, just water dispensers. And you get rid of the um, sun chips and Doritos and potato chips. And you have just nuts and dried fruit and, and you know, those kind of things. Um, you know, people will get over not having, you know, a machine full right. of, junk. You know, junk. Uh, and, and there are those that will say, you know, the hell with these people. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to brown bag it and, and bring my two liters of uh, my favorite uh, cola drink in. Okay, fine, you know, but you know, we're not supporting your, you know, uh, bad nutrition. Um, and, and, and go from there, whether or not you have an on-site dietitian or you have monthly or quarterly programs, try to involve maybe the family uh, you know a take home for the family or whoever's cooking things like that so uh, it, it can be structured it doesn't have to be the most expensive thing in the world it could be uh, on whatever budget you're you're looking to invest but I think whatever monies you're going to invest up front, the dividend is going to pay where your health charges are going to be lower less absenteeism people are going to be happy and you go from there again. You know, I I've got you know half full or half empty uh, syndrome, uh, but I, I think it could be done.
0: You think this could be turned around? You're saying
1: I I do, and uh, you know, right now I'm I'm trying to do it one person at a time, one right. family at a time on on the radio. Whoever is tuning in, we try to influence them. But if, uh, if, if you have... Uh, I, I think things like this are contagious. Mm-hmm. I really do think you can make it contagious. And I think if you make enough noise, make it fun, make it a little glib in, in some way, uh, add your own personal flair to it, step out of the box, um, get that message across that this is serious stuff, but not with doom and gloom, to say... Uh, gamify it somehow. Right. Right? I mean, that's, that's like, I love that word. We're going to gamify it. Okay. Mm-hmm. I don't know how, but, you know, have a, a recipe contest or, um, you, you know, uh, uh, whatever. Uh, you have to think outside the box. And then it's going to get around that, you know, Acme Tire Company is doing something. You're going to get local press or something. On the internet, my God, one, one Instagram post could go viral. And then it's like, hey, you know, that's a good idea. We have those problems and challenges. Maybe we'll do it. And it, it takes off. But I think uh, you have to be optimistic because uh, once, once, once everybody gives in, we're done. Mm-hmm. And, uh, the, and, and the other point here is, uh, which I like to tell everybody, when you look at the current population of children, so we're talking the you know, five to 15 year old you know, cohort of kids. Again, this is not stuff I made up. Multiple, multiple research studies have shown that these children are not going to live as long as their parents. Right. And that is disgusting, sad. that is sad. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and the reason why, they're obese, they're gonna have chronic disease, the diabetes, the hypertension, the fatty liver, Decades earlier, and I am seeing it firsthand. A a week does not go by that some upset mother brings uh, their 15-year-old into me who has a fatty liver, elevated liver chemistries. We work them up, and they are showing signs of scarring in their liver at 15. I could pretty much say they will have cirrhosis by the time they finish college if nothing is done. So now you got a kid, 22, 25 years old, finished college, trying to get a job, but you're on dialysis, or you've right. got liver problems, or you're on a bunch of meds that make you don't you know, feel well, and you're trying to compete with the, the other people, mm-hmm. you're, you're done. You know, you're done. Uh, and so I just look and say, who is happy? Who's going to go home to their kids tonight and say, Johnny, we love you. You're not going to live as long as me. You know that's that's a good thought, but that is is the reality here. Wow. So uh, a little bit of a shock, but uh, we could turn it around.
0: Tell us a little bit about your book.
1: My book, Eating Yourself Sick. Well, just even the title, I have to give the credit to my wife. Uh, we were sitting around the kitchen table, and I had the original title was going to be the Global War on Obesity. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I mean, I went out and got that website, and I'm like, "This is a war—the global war on obesity." I said, "Who would not love this?" And she said, "Nobody. Nobody would like this." And so I passed it around to some other people, and they said, "That is a disgusting title. It's not going to work." <laughs> so we were sitting around, and uh, and uh, I left for work, and about two hours later, she sends me a text, and she's like, "I got it." eating yourself sick. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, brilliant. That's why I married you. That's <laughs> right. And so that that really was the essence of what it's all about. We are eating ourselves sick. And so I grew up, uh, as I talk about in the book, I grew up in New York. Uh, your typical uh, you know, New York Italian family, we're of Sicilian descent. And Food was the, the epicenter of my mm-hmm. life, where uh, we were always cooking at home, at our house, at our relative's house. We visited somebody. It's not like, hey, how are you doing, or how are the kids doing at school? It's like, what are you making today? You know, right. what's, what's on the menu at Anne Fran's house? And, uh, and we would watch them cook, and like, wow, look at, look at what they're putting together. So my earliest recollection of life, truly, uh, was sitting at the kitchen table, chopping garlic from my mother, chopping onions, smashing tomatoes. Uh, when I got my driver's license, I was going to the shop for her. God forbid I brought back a zucchini that had a blemish on it. I had to go back and return it. It had to be perfect. So this was just worked into me. And uh, I, I learned to cook and appreciate food at a very early age. When I went off to college, everybody wanted me to be their roommate, not because I was a cool guy, uh, which I wasn't, but I knew how to cook.
0: He them fed. Yeah. I knew how
1: to cook, and you know, your parents didn't have to worry. They were with me, and we were going to eat well. Uh, it helped that my sister was a few towns over, so if I was not cooking, she was cooking, and we'd all go over there. Um, and I, I realized that the, the joy that I got from cooking, and again, cooking not in the sense of gluttony. Uh, it was all small portions, homemade, nutritious food. My mother was a stickler for junk food. She would, uh, in a very kind way, comment on the neighbors to say, Look at them. They're eating junk food. Did you hear what that kid ate? That kid ate, you know, uh, a bowl full of junk. And uh, not us. We're not going to be like that. Um, but uh, I realized that the joy I have always gotten from cooking and food and talking about nutrition and how good it is for you, my patients were lacking this. Okay. And so the uh, interaction in, in the office with my patients, uh, I, would, I would try to drum up some excitement, some passion about, you know eating and cooking instead of you know uh, just eating out and being overweight and identifying that they had uh, all these medical problems. And so I said, uh, these folks are coming to me with a fatty liver, with cirrhosis because of what they were eating. It was not genetic, it was not anything. It was what the heck you were eating or what you weren't eating. And so that's where, you know, the idea of eating yourself sick. And so it's a book that is uh, part storytelling about, uh, you know, my journey and my conversations with patients I, as I say on the radio, which I said earlier, try to raise your health IQ. At the end of every chapter, there's uh, three to five questions based on information in the book to really make sure you understand. Um, try to make you uh, a better shopper. Uh, I, I've got this um, this thing for the end caps in, in the uh, grocery store. At the end of the aisle, uh, these are displays that are called end caps, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and they are filled with cheap, uh, low-nutrition junk food that they want you to buy. So when you're making that turn and you see the end caps, there's this big display of chips or, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. or, or some junky food that you are impulsively going to pick up. You do not realize it, you are being duped and manipulated. By our lovely grocers, mm-hmm. and so it's just things like that. On uh, you know, uh, you know, going to the grocery, not on an empty stomach. The least amount of time per week that you spend in the grocery store, the better. They want you to loiter and hang <coughs> out. Huh. The more you hang out, the more you're going to buy. And it's not that you're going to buy more zucchini. You're going to buy instant frozen meals. Uh, pre-made food that's loaded with salt and calories. The portions are huge, uh, and that's why. What do they do? They are giving out food. They don't taste the food. That is the other thing. Mm-hmm. Do not taste the samples because you're going to get this hyper-flavored food, and your brain is going to say, "Man, these—I uh, don't know—these frozen ravioli with with four cheeses and salt. These are amazing. I'm hungry. Let me go buy mm-hmm. one." Well, it's it's buy two get one free. Crap! I'm gonna buy I'm gonna buy three of them. Could I say crap? By the you way, can't. it's okay. Say it. We're passionate. Yeah, yeah. It it's, it's the internet. It's, We're good. It, it's good. <laughs> and uh, so so that's it. And uh, you know they've got all kinds of gimmicks now to stay there. The uh, you know I mean I think uh, at least down by me it was Whole Food that set up a bar. Mm-hmm. Right. So people are now meeting and going out on dates or they're meeting up with their coworkers at the bar at a whole food drinking wine and buying food and stuff like that um, uh, you know the all the sort of the grab and go grab and heat type pre-made meals portions are way too big more expensive than if you just bought the raw components and sure. cooked it yourself So uh, I I get into that in in the book. And can you tell people where they can pick up your book? You know, this day and age, BarnesandNoble.com, Amazon.com. Walk into my office; we'll sell you a copy. (laughs) Uh, We got a few here, but uh, yeah, online is uh, probably the best way. Go to our website, DrJoeGalati.com, and uh, uh, it's on Audible as well. Great, you know, and uh, Kindle. Love so it. the trifecta, it's all there. I love my Kindle.
0: Mm-hmm, absolutely. Yeah. And tell us where they can listen to your radio show as well.
1: Well, the radio, it's uh, our flagship station is 740 KTRH uh, here in Houston, Texas. Big 50,000-watt station. <laughs> if, yeah. If you don't get the signal, uh, through the iHeartRadio app worldwide. It's uh, simulcasted live, and podcast is available there. So um, plenty of ways to get it. Awesome. And yourhealthfirst.com. Yourhealthfirst.com is our uh, radio program website. Okay. Absolutely. See what we're doing every Sunday evening.
0: Perfect. Well, thank you so much for giving us your information on yeah, this. Yeah, thank you is very much. Well, yeah. I appreciate it. Thanks for the uh, opportunity here. For sure. So, if you guys want to improve your own occupational health program, we urge you to go ahead and just reach out to Axiom Medical. You can visit our website. It's Axiom, dot com, or you can give us a call at 877- Five zero two nine four six six.